appreciate your prayers. Uh, not this week, but the week after this, I'm going to go to Louisiana with a group of men and women who are going to be helping with uh, the uh, disaster relief uh, team there. And so we appreciate your prayers for safety and then also for the gospel that will be presented. So I'm not going to be out any Sundays. Uh, I asked them if there's any way we could work it out where I wouldn't miss a Sunday and they've come up with a good idea and a good plan on that. So I'm thankful for that, but I do appreciate your prayers. Uh, we're going to be doing some chainsaw work and that kind of thing. And that's, that's pretty dangerous when you're working with a group of guys. And uh, so therefore, we would appreciate that. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Revelation. To the book of Revelation, chapter 21. The book of Revelation, chapter 21. Actually, I want to read from another passage uh, before we get there. I'm going to do that in just, a, in just a moment. It's chapter 20. I said 21, but I meant chapter 20 in Revelation. Uh, over the years, there have been a lot of changes, right? And uh, some probably good. There's some, there some things that I like, some, some positive changes, but there's been a lot of uh, negative changes as well. One of them in particular has been uh, the lack of preaching on the doctrine of hell. Now, it's not something that any preacher enjoys, obviously, to preach on. I can't, I can't imagine any preacher that would preach on hell and enjoy preaching on it. I don't. I would much rather do sermons that really have little or nothing to do with hell. But what, one, of the, one of the side effects, I guess, of this has been that fewer people believe in a place called hell than in recent history, especially uh, among those that have been surveyed on this particular doctrine, the doctrine of hell. You may not be surprised that more people believe in heaven and yet fewer people believe in hell. In a recent survey, how recent, in 2017, and that study, it showed, or in that survey, it showed that only about 48% believe among Protestants and Christ Christianity, Protestants, Christians, uh, believe that Jesus is the only path to eternal life. 56% of evangelicals believe that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. That's even more disturbing, is it not? Because evangelicals essentially are Baptists and a few other groups who believe in the essential doctrines of Christianity. But only 60% said in that same survey according to Pew Research, that they believe in hell. Only 60% said they believe in hell, while 72% believe in heaven. So we've got a problem, don't we? Because just the disparity in that would indicate that we have more people believing in heaven than believe in hell. And so why is that? Why is that? Well... Uh, you can argue the depravity of man wants to think that there is a heaven while he does not want to think that there is a hell. 
So what does indeed the Bible say about what is hell like? I preached three weeks on heaven, right? So we're just going to give one week uh, devoted to the doctrine of hell. Perhaps we need to do a, a more intense study of it. Wouldn't you agree with me today that it's very unlikely that any of the TV ministries are preaching on hell? Can you agree with me on that? I, I think that's just... Uh, that's not going to be a stretch at all to say that very few of them are preaching on hell. And there's one person in particular that talks a lot about hell, but he tends to deviate from what the Bible says about hell, and therefore he kind of muddies the water concerning the doctrine of hell. Now, I believe this, that we don't need to preach on hell every week. Uh, nor do I believe that we are preaching should sound like it is out of hell. Uh, I think that uh, we should preach encouraging, uplifting sermons. But I do think as watchmen on the wall, which is part of our responsibility, we should remind folks that there are some serious, there is a serious choice to be made in this life. And that failing to receive Jesus Christ as one Savior dooms a person for eternity in hell. Now, Jonathan Edwards, who was a late evangelist in the 19th century, uh, it is said and that the building in which he preached in still exists today. It is said that people held on to the pews in order to keep from falling into hell. That hell, when he preached, was so vibrant and so real in their thinking that they themselves were fearful that they would fall into hell. Now, a Christian doesn't need to fear hell. Amen. But I will say this. One of the reasons that evangelism, and, and might I say this to you in a very personal way, one of the reasons people are not so worried about the lost anymore is because they've lost a rich and robust understanding of this doctrine of hell. And you understand that if you're worried, listen, if you're worried about somebody you love and you care about going to hell, you're going to be praying for them to be saved. You're, you're going to do what you can to share with them the gospel. And therefore, you're not going to tell people like me. I've had people tell me, uh, don't talk to my husband about heaven. He, he uh, you know, he just stirs up a lot of trouble. Well, let me, let me just ask you, what could be more trouble than hell? Mm. No. What could be more troubling than hell? And uh, folks just, uh, you know, they don't want you to talk to other people about Jesus. That worries me that we're not as concerned about the lost as we once were. And I know that's true. And I also then are concerned that we are losing our focus on evangelism because we no longer believe in hell. That survey indicates, I haven't surveyed you, I don't, I don't know where you stand. Hopefully you stand on scripture. But that survey indicates that we've got real problems in the church let alone outside the church. And that is very disturbing. Now let's talk about today 
If heaven is a beautiful place and a glorious place and a place where the Lord Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, his rightful place, then what is hell like? So we're going to pick up in Revelation in, in chapter 20 in just a moment. I want to read the last, uh, the last part of that. And, uh, but before that, I want to read from the book of Luke. Uh, chapter 16. You don't have to turn there unless you just feel like you have to. I want to read from a part of the rich man and Lazarus. And we know that both of these men, one was a beggar, his name was Lazarus. This is not Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is a different Lazarus. And this Lazarus is a beggar. He's laid at the rich man's gate. Both of them die. Uh, and therefore, one of them goes to heaven that is symbolized as being in Abraham's bosom because wherever Abraham is, obviously that's where God is. But the, but the other man, the rich man, and, and I don't, it's not because he was rich, it was because he was not a God-fearer. And in our case, it would be because he hadn't received Christ as his Savior. He is in hell. And I, I want to read that, uh, what that passage says to us about this place called hell. It says in verse 23, And in hell are literally Hades here, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. Now take note of that phrase, being in torment. Being in torment torment. Now, we go on a little farther in this very passage as we look at it. He calls out to his father, to Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, remember he's the beggar, he's in heaven, to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. So, what? Torment and anguish. Now that should really catch our attention, my brothers and my sisters. You live around, you have people in your family that are lost. We used to say lost as a goose. I don't even know if a goose gets that lost. You have family members, you have people that you care about, people that you know, co-workers, that if they were to die right now, they would be in the very same place that the Bible says that the rich man was. Now we know, or is, we know that the way you go to hell is by rejecting Jesus Christ. It is not by being a bad person. The way you go to heaven is by receiving Jesus Christ. It's not by being a good person. The only difference between the saved and the unsaved at some level is that question of whether they have received or rejected Jesus. If you receive Him, you pass from death unto life. If you reject Him, you are looking forward to the second death, which is total eternal separation from God. Is that clear? That's just biblical. In verse 25, But Abraham said, Child, remember, that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. So we've read those words, have we not? Torment. 
We have read the word anguish. We have read these words from Luke chapter 16. Anguish in the flame. Anguish. Lazarus is comforted. He's comforted, but you're not. What is it like to be comforted and what is it like to be in anguish? I don't think any of us can begin to imagine what the anguish of hell will truly be like. The Bible says that because we know the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now, not only has the doctrine of hell been lost, but the, the, the character of God has been lost in this discussion as well. And the character of God is under assault today because people have a variety of reasons why, and I'm going to get to those in just a moment, they reject the doctrine of hell. They have a variety of reasons why they reject it. Here you have in this survey 72% saying they believe in heaven, while at the same time 60% said they believe in hell within the church. But outside the church, the doctrine of hell is a joke. And why is it a joke? Well, in part it's a joke because everybody believes they're going to heaven today if there is such a place. And no one believes that God would send them to hell because they've lost any real understanding of the character of God. Who God is, His holiness, and the fact that God cannot tolerate sin. And apart from the shed blood of Jesus, we are all headed to hell. If it's not for His blood, if it's not for His salvation, if it's not for, her, for His forgiveness, there's not a person who will watch this video. There's not a person in this room. There's not a person alive today that deserves heaven. Not a person alive. And yet everybody thinks they deserve it and nobody deserves hell. Now this is, this is the very argument that I hear all the time. Because even the unsaved object to any notion of hell. Now let me, let me say to you this morning, what if they're wrong? And they are. What if they're wrong? It's, this is devastating to even consider. Because let me just ask you this very question. When I began preaching in 1985, 1985 was, was really, I guess, my first official sermon as a, as a preacher standing behind a pulpit, though I preached some as a teenager. Not that much, but they would have youth days and they would ask me to preach. And so therefore, when I, when I preached my very first sermon in 1985, folks, uh, for the most part, and I mean a really high number in the 90% ranger, and uh, very, very high, believed that there was a place called hell. And I preached on it. And I'm preaching on it today. And what has changed? Has the Bible changed? No, the Bible's not changed. Have I changed? Not that much. What has not changed, not at all, is God's Word. It has not changed. But generations have come and gone and people have changed. 
And the scary thing to me about that is, is you can be wrong. You can be absolutely wrong. You know, one of the things about growing older is coming to a place in your life where you know you can be wrong. Amen. Amen. You can, man, man, you can be wrong. Yep. You can look back over at your life and say, man, I was wrong about that. Man, I was wrong about that. Man, I was wrong about uh, that girl or that guy thinking that, oh, I wish I'd married them. And then I found out which path their life went on. I could be wrong. And so for a person today to say, I believe there's a heaven, but I don't believe there's a hell. Guess what? You're wrong. That person is wrong. And I don't, I, they're not wrong because I say they're wrong. They're wrong because the Bible says they're wrong. And they're wrong because there's no reason to accept the claims of the Bible in one place and reject them in another. There's, that makes no sense. It's not even logical. to pontif I use the word pontificate. It's kind of like, well, here's what I think. Well, yeah, but what does God say? Here's what I think. So let's look at Revelation chapter 20. I think I have it in that right now. And verse, let's pick up at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Those, that, that is those who have died standing before the great white throne of God. And the books were open. Then another book was opened which is the book of life. How many of you know you want to get your name written in the book of life and that's only through Christ? It's only through His blood. Well, my name's written in the book of life because I lived a good life. No, no. My name is written in the book of life because of Jesus. Amen. Because of Jesus. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades or hell gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Now let me ask you something. Do you believe that we will all stand before God? And if you do, why do you believe that? And what do you base it on? Well, I believe it and I base it upon the Scripture. Because frankly, no, none of you have died. How many of you are still alive? Don't raise your hand. And so, therefore, you can't tell me whether it exists or doesn't exist simply based upon your experience. For example, if I told you that in Israel, in the center of Israel, there is a huge water fountain. It's, it's, in, the, it's in the center part of Israel. If you go from east to the center, if you go from the west to the center, if you go from the north to the center and the south to the center, and you arrive at the perfect center of Israel on a compass, you will find a magnificent water fountain. That's a lie. If that water fountain exists, I never saw it. Now you know there's no baking there. But you know there's... Listen, that's a lie. And I just told you a lie. And you don't know whether I was telling the truth or not. And so therefore, I'm just simply suggesting you, to you that when people talk to you about heaven and hell, there's not a one of them who has left the earth to, to find out whether it's true or not. So, how in the world are we going to know? 
We only have one authority on this. Only one. We don't have another one. Well, I just can't see how a loving God. How can God be love and wrath too? Well, I just don't see how a loving God could send anybody to hell. Or I believe hell is annihilation. Uh, one of the famous preachers on television tells people all the time, both on TV and on radio, I won't call his name. Uh, there's many things about him that I do like. And yet on the doctrine of hell, he says a person's just going to burn up. Well, obviously he knows something I don't know. Because I don't see that. And so we go a little bit farther in this. We all stand before the judgment. Then, then death and hell, verse 14, or Hades, were thrown into the lake of the fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Now, you help me in this next verse. Help me out here. And in this case, what is anyone? Anyone. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. How do I know Jesus lived and died and gave his life for me at Calvary? Well, I can believe in the historical Jesus there's evidence for that. I'm not discrediting that at all. Obviously there is. I went to Israel and I, I still see a remnant of evidence for that. But how do I know that he died for me? Because the Bible tells me so. So how in the world could I know that there is a hell when there's no way to know visually, experientially, Because the Bible tells me so. Now, I want to share with you some things about what is hell like. You've already seen that, this place of lake, they call the lake of fire. Well, first of all, hell is a total separation from all that is good. Here, here is the real struggle for an unsaved person. They're not really struggling with it. But it's just me evaluating it and, and I will be thrust into a situation where I, where I will encounter a lot of people that will be glad that we're there because they need help and, and they're suffering, they're hurting. And so we believe, we Southern Baptists, you're sending me out as a missionary and thank you for it. I, I do want to thank you for making that possible for me to go on your behalf and on the behalf of other Christians like you. But here, here's the real, the real struggle when they come to this idea it is that they cannot think this through because they are experiencing good in this life you see hell seems so distant the whole the whole concept the whole notion of hell is not really that real to them now i can tell you for me it was and it is it's real it's real. Uh, not only do I have dreams about heaven, but I have dreams about hell. I am a person who dreams a lot. 
I've told you that before. Now, I give no authority to these dreams. These dreams are not authoritative in my life. But it's my way of suggesting to you that I am moment by moment reminded of the reality of hell. Hell is separation from all that is good. There is something called common grace. And let me just explain it to you. That means that the unsaved and the saved can experience a good life. The unsaved have children that hug them, children that say, I love you. The unsaved can, can uh, do different things and they can enjoy this life, right? They can, they can go to Gatlinburg. They can see the mountains. They can go to different places. They can see the beauty of God. That's common grace. And therefore, in their minds, they can't perceive a place called hell. But that in no way discredits the reality of it. There are many things in this life that I can't imagine, and yet I believe. They drive past the steeple of a church. They may occasionally hear a gospel message, and uh, they just can't imagine any place that the Bible describes as hell. And then there's some folks that are just religious and they just, they just can't imagine that a religious person will go to hell. But you know religious people will go to hell too. Well, where, where do you get that? Uh, Brother Stan, that's a fair question. Well, I get that on the basis of reading the Bible. One of the most religious men who ever lived, his name was Saul. You know him as Paul. Saul was arresting people who were following the way, which is Christianity, Jesus, and he was throwing them into jail. And God blinded him on the road to Damascus, remember? And he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Which was really, who are you, mister? Now to fast forward, Saul is converted and he, instead of persecuting, he becomes persecuted. But you see, being religious did not guarantee him a seat in heaven. Will good people be in hell? That's sad to think about it, isn't it? I mean, think about people who have led charities, people who have done all kinds of good things, good relative to men, and they will be in hell. You say, how in the world could God dispatch anyone to hell who's been good and done good things? I'm glad you asked. And if you get confused about this, you will never get this right. It is clearly that we're all lawbreakers and not a one of us deserve heaven. Heaven is God's grace and hell is what we rightly deserve. And when you mess that up, then you come out with this kind of doctrine, which is what unsaved people they have. And that is we all deserve heaven and not a one of us deserve hell. And if God doesn't take us all to heaven, he has been negligent. Worse, he's been criminal. Well, that's not biblical. Hell is consistent with the justice of God. You hear a lot about justice today. Isn't it interesting that we believe in justice, do we not? Because what do we do with people who are lawbreakers? 
Help me. What's that multi-million dollar facility down there? Is that is that a gymnasium? Every, every let me let me tell you something. If I go to uh, Selmer, uh, if I go to Savannah, Hardin County, if I go to uh, Bolivar, Hardman County, if I go to uh, any of these counties around, guess what I will find? The newest building, the state-of-the-art building, is the criminal justice complex. Whereas it costs anywhere from fifty dollars to $70,000 annually for each person that's there. And that's a conservative estimate, by the way. It can be more depending on what how severe the lockup is. Why do we put folks there? Why don't we just come to the conclusion that so what? I've never really even heard that as argument for the existence of God, but to some degree it seems to me that it could be because I'm just simply saying this. We get that, don't we? I mean, we get that. You, you don't want a guy who, who's a rapist just kind of wandering around your neighborhood, right? I mean, you, you don't want a guy who has killed five people in the last three months or any other period of time. You don't want him just wandering around your neighborhood because he's a lawbreaker, right? He might argue that that was the smartest decision I ever made and don't think he or she would, but maybe they do. But you say, no. No, we say as a society, that's lawbreaking. Well, God's got some laws. Got some laws. And just as you say, you and I say, that we don't want anybody around us that's like that, God says, I'm perfect and I'm holy and I don't want anybody around me like that. All right. You see that? So hell is a real place that real folks deserve unless they repent. That's the good news to God. But see, when you're talking to folks, sometimes they're all going to heaven, so what's this about, right? Hell is a place, according to the scripture, is a place of unimaginable suffering. You think about this rich man. He had it all. And he was even better than Bogey and Bacall. Jeremiah and other prophets of old, Habakkuk is one of those. Why, why in the world are all of these people prospering and yet they're wicked? When I try to do right and I suffer. God says just wait. Hang on. There's one of the favorite uh, sayings of this culture is pay it forward. You may have heard that. Pay it forward. Wasn't too long ago somebody uh, paid for my meal and uh, I guess they were just paying it forward. That was nice of them to do. I didn't know the person that did that and uh, 
immediately in my mind as a depraved person, I thought I should have got more food. I should have got better stuff. I was, you know, I was doing the Stan Griffin order, free fries. No, but I should have got some real good stuff. You know, that's the way depravity thinks. But to pay it forward, listen, we're paying forward <laughs> because it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we will be changed. And hell is a place of unimaginable suffering. Because he just says, I just need water to touch my tongue. This is a guy who's been reduced from the glory of richness. The splendor of his time, where he probably had servants. He had everything that time could afford. It wasn't like what this time can. But he probably had much more than the commoner did. He certainly had much more than Lazarus did in material possessions. And yet he was reduced to, I just need water touched to my tongue. Hell is a place of unimaginable suffering. The Bible says there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. look at other people with love and say, you know what, I want you to know what I know. I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. Just as heaven is a prepared place, so is hell. The Bible says it's prepared for the devil and his angels, his followers, his demons, if you where people will be eternally separated from God. You know, I've had more than one person tell me they believe in a God of a second chance, and of course we do too. Just not after you die. Why do we not believe that? Because the Bible doesn't give us any evidence of that. Friends, if, if, if there was a second chance after death, I would tell you about it if it was in here. But it's not. The Bible says it's appointed once for a man to die, and after this, judgment, which gives you a kind of an imminent activity that will occur after I die, and that is judgment. Now, I don't know how we work all that out because we're not smart enough or wise enough or it hasn't been revealed to us. I accept all of that, but I'm just suggesting to you today that what we do know is this place is not a place that you arrive at after a second chance after death. Are there people in hell today? Yes. Would you know some of them? Yes. Would it be your friends? It might be. Which brings me to the fifth point. Hell is eternal. Hell is eternal. Now, along with these rather confusing and weird ideas has developed in the last few years this idea that, he that hell, that you will be after the judgment, that you will be annihilated. You know what annihilated is? Wiped out. 
that you will no longer have consciousness after life. And once again, I, I draw as exhibit A of the rich man and Lazarus. There are other scriptures as well. I wouldn't just simply use a parable to do this, but wouldn't you agree with me that Jesus would have never told a parable that's untrue? So therefore, my argument is, is this parable is, even though it is a parable, it is definitive in letting us know that there is a reality of life beyond this life. And guess what we find? The rich man is conscious and Lazarus is conscious too. What's that mean? That means they're not asleep. That means they haven't disappeared. That means that they haven't just ceased to exist. They exist, are. One of them exists in comfort. One of them exists in agony. You're not annihilated. The Bible says hell is a place where the smoke ascendeth up forever and ever. It is given as an eternal place. The devil led a rebellion in heaven. He was cast out. And he has a period of time where he will be at work on the earth. And the Bible speaks of that in the book of Revelation. But there's coming an end to his journey. And he will not be allowed to torment the nations anymore. He will no longer have the freedom he has today under the sovereignty of God. When I was in college, we studied the doctrine of purgatory. Any, any of you familiar with that? Ever heard of that? It's what the Catholics teach. Is it in the Bible? No, it's not in the Bible, but they don't need that. Uh, honestly, if they can conceive of it and a council establishes it, that's good enough. And so having said that, they have this doctrine of purgatory. And this doctrine of purgatory essentially is, is that if you're a bad person, there's a halfway house for you. So you leave this earth, you're a bad person, you go to the halfway house, purgatory, and if things go well there, they get to go to heaven. All of these doctrines are man's conception of his rejection of the justice of God. Now, now again, I want to close this way. Not only does man demand justice, but so does God. And His justice is towards sinners. Therefore, all of us who are sinners should come to the blood of Jesus. Because without His blood, we're going to find justice. Imagine a courtroom where you're standing before a judge. And you're guilty of a crime. And you make your way up there. How many of you have been to courtrooms, right? That's very, very troubling. To try to stay out of them. Because a lot of folks lie. So you walk up to the judge and you say, Your Honor! Your Honor! Nobody would do this, by the way. Your Honor! I just want what I deserve.
You may... You imagine an attorney back there reaching up, grabbing the guy or girl and throwing them to the ground before they even get the words out. Your Honor, I just want what I deserve. Not me. I want mercy. Amen. Amen. The justice of God would put me in hell. The mercy of God saves me to heaven. I pray there's not a person in here or a person that will listen to this who's headed to hell. Don't go there because your friends are there. I got no friends there. There'll be no friends there. I hesitate to do this, but I you'll permit me to and don't torture this illustration but years ago when I was working at a hospital they had a wing a wing set aside for those that were having mental problems and I didn't go in there very often thankfully but I remember crossing over into that wing and you heard people screaming mm. can I just tell you just like Oh, 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 help me, help me. I thank God when I got out of there. Oh, I felt for them. I couldn't help them. They were trying to help them. They helped some folks. Some other folks, they couldn't help. But I think about hell. How many help me's will be there? How many people will scream, I wish I could hear Brother Stan preach again. How many people will say, would you send somebody just to touch my tongue with water? For I am tormented in this flame. The grace of God saves me from my sin and surrenders me to heaven. Rejecting His grace sentences me to hell. It is your choice. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Gospel. We thank You, Lord, for the truth of Scripture. There was no fun in this. The good news is You have made it possible for us to reject hell and to ascend into heaven. Not on our basis, but upon the basis of the wonderful Son, your Son, Jesus. We pray for this word as it goes forward. That people will come to eternal life. Turn from their sin. Receive you as Savior. Recognize the gift of eternal life is Jesus. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.